It's 4 p.m. on a Friday, the end of the first full week of the 2020 fall semester. What you're hearing is the Students' Union Building at the University of Alberta, also known as SUB. This is usually one of the major hubs on campus, especially during the first few weeks of the fall semester. Imagine the hallways filled with tables advertising student groups, students milling around the food court, watching performances on the sub stage, and the bookstore full of eager first years buying textbooks and half-price hoodies. Today's sub looks nothing like that. There's a handful of students spread out across tables, all of them six feet apart, most only occupied by one or two people. Almost everyone is sitting in front of an open laptop, silently. Maybe half of them are wearing masks. The other half have either a drink or a half-empty takeout box sitting beside them, as if to justify their unmasked faces. You'd be tempted to say the silence is deafening, if it weren't expected. Despite being only a week and a half old, the 2020 fall semester is already going down as one of the strangest semesters in recent memory, challenged maybe only by the 2020 spring semester and the 2020 winter semester. Since classes were canceled and moved online in March due to the coronavirus pandemic, the idea of the university experience has gone from images of crowded lecture halls to something totally unrecognizable. Rather than school being this communal thing that we all do at a specific place and time, it looks more like a mass of faceless, silent names tuning into a recorded Zoom call once or twice a week. It's a pretty strange formula. Low-resolution professors speak into a live-streamed abyss, and a few days later the abyss spits out essays and online quizzes, asynchronously. The move to online schooling has posed more than a few problems. There have been concerns about lower enrollment, how to teach a class whose students are in different time zones, and on the first day of the semester, the university's e-class portal completely crashed, effectively canceling the first day before it even happened. Another big concern is students feeling lonely or isolated this semester. Four months is a long time to spend cooped up in your house or dorm, going from video call to video call, and never physically interacting with other people. That problem is especially pronounced for international students who might have to work at odd hours of the day, or first years whose first encounter with university is through their computer screen. Most of us are going to feel lonely at some point in the foreseeable future, and in fact for some of us loneliness might be our default emotion. So we thought it would be a good idea to talk about what exactly that might look like this fall. There's this weird phenomenon that if everyone is sad about something, or feels a particular way, then you feeling the same way about that thing isn't all that relevant. We wanted to change that this week and see what exactly does it mean to be in school and alone, along with everybody else. One of the biggest problems with the pandemic is that because it took us all by surprise, and because we're constantly playing catch up with the virus and its effects, it's hard to collect good, reliable data. That being said, a June survey coming out of the Center for Addiction and Mental Health found that although anxiety levels dropped as things opened back up, rates of loneliness and depression stayed elevated. An American survey by the Center for Disease Control found that university-age adults had higher levels of anxiety and depression than any other group surveyed, and the proportion that reported feeling moderately to severely stressed was three or four times higher than what it was in 2019. 
To get a better understanding of the mental health landscape among University of Alberta students specifically, I spoke with Katie Kidd, the Vice President of Student Life of the Students' Union. The Vice President of Student Life is typically in charge of non-academic issues that impact students. So that can include anything from residents and events to sexual assault and mental health. Have you heard anything regarding, you know, students' headspace regarding um, this semester? Or do you have any concerns about students feeling lonely or isolated this semester? Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think right now, like, I know even myself, like the first two weeks, you're kind of like, this is fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then I think once we have kind of more midterm season, uh, things start picking up, it will, I think, become, mental health will be a bigger concern, I think, for most students. Not to say that people aren't struggling now, but just it will, the stress will build. Mm-hmm. Um, I do worry about student loneliness. If we were to talk about, like, a student in residence, you know, who maybe, let's say, is in Schaefer Hall, you know, there's not a lot of reasons if they're struggling with their mental health to leave their room, right? They have a washroom in there, they just have to go get food, all of their classes could be online. So it's really important that not only are we trying to be social and engaged, but we're checking in on the people we know, you know, just making sure that they are doing okay and having that space where if they aren't, they can come to you. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any specific concerns maybe about international students who are maybe in different time zones or even like first years who this is their first um, contact with the U of A is you know online from their house yeah absolutely those are two groups that we're really focusing on Um, to talk a bit about international students that's why we pushed really hard for asynchronous learning Um, it's I can't even imagine having to wake up at 3 a.m. to write an exam. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, think like I live in Edmonton, so I don't have that concern, but that would take an enormous toll on you. And they may be separate from other friends that they have or other groups that they were a part of. So making sure that like they are able to digitally connect, um, whatever that looks like. As far as first year goes, first years go, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. We've been working really hard to try and make sure that we are providing that space for social connections, even if they are online. Um, My little sister is a first year this year and she's back home in Calgary. So I've kind of been able to see how things are going through her, see what programming's working, what's not, which has been, you know, really excellent because I got to hear kind of on the ground opinions. But I do think between, you know, different clubs and residents and we could welcome groups, I think there are lots of opportunity for students to make those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is different than the traditional first year experience. There's no getting around that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how important do you think, just, just generally speaking, how important do you think community and being physically present with other people is to, to learning and the university experience? Hmm. I think So I'm an education student, Uh, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot is like, you know, when you're a social learner, how do you adapt to doing that online? Um, And, you know, even like different Zoom calls, you can't really tell what someone's reaction to things are or, you know, there's like that little bit of a stiltedness almost. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think it is important normally, I think, this is when we're seeing people rise to the challenge and finding new ways to build those connections, even when it might be 
completely different from what they've done in the past. Um, you know, even if that is, you know, logging onto a Zoom call with a few people and studying together, even if you're sitting in silence on the Zoom call, but just so you know there's people there, I do think you can make that connection. It just takes a little bit more effort than it maybe has traditionally. Yeah, yeah. And so kind of, kind of speaking to that, because, you know, I think people have found other ways of getting in contact with other people, um, you know, other than meeting in person. So, you know, I think the idea of the university community, it tends to be grounded in a physical geographical campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that gone, do you feel like there is still such a thing as, as the University of Alberta community this year? And like, if so, like, what are some ways that you've seen that manifested? Yeah. Absolutely. I still think so. I think this year is going to be, you know, in six months when we can critically reflect on everything that's been happening um, and our attempts. I think we are going to learn a lot from this and we're also going to find different ways and different attempts that we made that will continue in the future. You know, for example, we had like an orientation podcast and, you know, maybe that is something we'll look at doing. Um, But as far as the campus community goes, I think more than anything this year, the campus community is going to be resilient. Um, it honestly has to be <laughs> with mm-hmm. all um, the difficulties that we've kind of been facing, but I do think it's there. Um, looking at, you know, <laughs> last Thursday, the camp- campus kickoff concert, it was similar to what I had planned for ResFest or usually the WOW stage, but we were able to take an event that really does bring the campus community together and move it online. Same with the Green and Gold Day celebrations have moved online, as well as just seeing, I think, some really cool different events from student groups, whether that's hosting like a Jackbox night or doing different giveaways or things like that, just trying to find inventive ways to do things online. And I think this is something um, everyone is focusing on, which hopefully will bring the community and bring that resilience throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so like when you talk about some of those, you know, alternative approaches, do you think that, and obviously, you know, it's hard to predict what the future is going to look like, but do you foresee the pandemic resulting in any like permanent changes as to how, um, how we do school or how, how we interact with each other um, socially on campus? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, it's actually kind of funny before in my first year, I took an online class through education and it was my favorite class because I had so much more control over when I had to do things and you know watching the lectures online so I was able to work in the day and do my classwork online and I do think that's a positive for students who are juggling maybe being a parent or having a dependent or trying to work so I think there is definitely in terms of academics there are positives um, Mm -hmm. if we do them correctly in terms of social life I agree still like Looking at some of our programming, we've tried to make it more inclusive. So trying to uh, accommodate for different languages, you know, offering our programming in English, French, and Mandarin when we can. Um, And definitely trying to recreate that campus feeling throughout everything we do, which we already did, but I think it's actually more of a focus this year. And I Mm -hmm. think that is, something we can absolutely take going forward is how can we make sure that everyone feels involved on this campus even more so now yeah yeah like even beyond the pandemic Mm -hmm. um 
specifically talking about, you know, online um, course delivery, but even beyond that, because, because obviously there's a lot of things that are being moved online, even like social events and um, things like that. Is there anything you'd like to see done differently with regards to how that's being done right now? Hmm. I think that's an interesting question. And, you know, it's almost one of those things that in like a few months, I think I might have a stronger answer just because when you're in it, you're like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happening. But I do think, and I've said it a few times, but asynchronous learning to me is just so important. Um, when it comes to online, you can't, you know, it's, it is not fair for an international student to have to wake up at four in the morning to write their exams or for someone who is trying to homeschool their child to also have to attend maybe a scheduled class. So I do think, you know, as much as possible moving towards as much asynchronous. So um, I guess just to clarify what asynchronous is, when the class doesn't you still have due dates, but they're not like, you have to attend this lecture at like 1 p.m. Um, yeah. I think that just will benefit so many more students and will be such a more positive learning environment. And I would love to see that continue to grow. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what would you have to say to a student maybe who's feeling disconnected from the university community right now and, you know, maybe feels lonely and isolated and is, is wondering how they'll make it through through the semester? I know it might be kind of a heavy question, but yeah. <laughs> no worries. Um, I think there's, oh, there's a lot to say, but I think the first thing is like, know that there are people who care about you and who want to hear from you and are here to listen if you uh, need someone to. Our peer support center has moved online. And beyond that, my biggest advice is to just join as many things as possible and then walk it back. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. can always leave a club, but I have met all of my university friends through different involvement opportunities. And I'm so thankful that I did them. Um, even when I joined like 50 in first year and stayed with three, you know, mm -hmm. but I do really think that trying to put yourself out there, even though it can be extremely difficult, will really pay off this year and moving into the future throughout their university experience. Um, and just know that there are mental health resources here on campus if you do need them. To get another perspective on the effects the pandemic has had on students' mental health, I also spoke with Jacqueline Layton, a professor in the Department of Educational Psychology and a registered psychologist. So far, pandemic responses have tended to prioritize protecting physical health. And while that's understandable, there's definitely been some collateral damage. Rates of substance abuse and calls into helplines all soared in the weeks following lockdowns being announced, not to mention the impact on people's mental health. Dr. Layton and I spoke about the significance of mental health being treated as secondary in terms of the pandemic response and the effects that might have on university students specifically going forward. Because one of the things that has been mentioned by the, the the, the, the authorities, uh, Dina Henshaw and others who've talked about this, increasingly I've heard a little bit more about this, I'd like to hear more though uh, from them, is that we need to actually have a more balanced approach. It's not just about physical health, we have to really think about mental health. And right now mental health is actually, there's a great deal of talk, um, 
people claiming that they're worried about it, but there's no action. Like what really has been mm -hmm. done to address the, the potentially massive consequences of this approach to dealing with the virus? Mm -hmm. So I think there's, so there's the possibility almost that our response to the virus might be as detrimental or even more detrimental than the virus itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So actually specifically on that, on that question, um, um, so what do you think then the long-term social impacts of COVID-19 might be even beyond the pandemic? Cause I have heard some concerns from people that we might be facing a lost generation almost. Um, like, do you think that's a valid concern? Do you think that's something we should be worried about? Yeah, I do actually. I think that we should be a lot more concerned about the mental health of individuals than we typically are. We tend to focus too much on physical health, to be quite honest. And what we know now is that the university years, um, when people are first entering university, it's not just about an education. It's about growth and experience and uh, learning from others and doing a variety of things that frankly are not actually that um, recreational. I mean, we talk about recreational um, things such as parties and, and gatherings, but they're actually part of people's social development. And if you cut that off, that can actually interfere not only with people's education, but people's development and growth in their personality and in the and in their economic uh, prospects. So it's actually significant. And we really should be talking a lot more about that. And really, there should be much more action associated associated with this than what I've seen at least. That's a good point. Um, so I think kind of going to the topic specifically of young people and, and how they're dealing with the, with the pandemic. And I'm saying this as a, as a Gen Zer myself, I'm 21, but seeing as, you know, this is the first generation to have grown up with cell phones and talking to each other virtually. And even before the pandemic, you know, there's already study after study coming out talking about, you know, Gen Z and our shrinking social circles, our tendency to spend time, uh, cooped up at home. So in a way, was this almost the best equipped generation to deal with the social ramifications of a pandemic? Or am I missing something? So, yeah. so I would challenge that actually, because I, I teach, um, I've taught um, university students, first, uh, first year, second year, third year university students. And even though um, your generation, 21 year olds, let's say, are um, they communicate in, in virtual ways, text, and using a variety of other non-face-to-face modalities. It's also the case that when they choose, they, they can engage in face-to-face -face contact. And so when an option is taken away, when someone's freedom to engage in a certain form of contact is taken away, especially individuals who might be at risk who might already be at risk for mental health problems such as depression or anxiety, then all of a sudden you create a situation where that one outlet, where when they really needed to be able to get in touch with someone face to face and get a hug or, or you know, have some kind of proximity in terms of their physical relation, when that's taken away, then it doesn't really matter what generation you're from or even how much virtual connection you have. That is something that now is no longer an option. And that mm -hmm. is going to feel like something that has been lost. And that um, is undoubtedly going to have an effect on young people. 
Yeah, because because overall the social interaction is almost like a fundamental aspect of of your humanity. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, how do you feel maybe about the argument that, um, at least for the time being, at least while the virus is still hot um, or still rapidly spreading, that we might have to make some concessions, be it on the social front, you know, to preserve people's physical health? Like, do you do you agree with that sentiment? And do you think there are maybe certain things that we should be willing to give up, um, you know, be it for six months, a year, um, until things get better? Well, I think that a balanced approach is always the best approach. And mm-hmm. what I think to your question, I think it brings us full circle to one of the things you were asking me very early on. I think that it's important to not just consider physical well-being, but it's important to consider mental well-being. And one of the things is that if you can uh, safeguard people's physical health all you want, but if you lose their mental health, you have a big problem on your hands. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, in terms of how long um, might we, how, how long is too long? I would, I would argue that with anything, in any kind of physical threat, it is important to actually consider who is most vulnerable and who is most at threat or who is most um, threatened by the, the physical harm. And that one would hope that we have enough experts to be able to put together a smarter approach so that people's mental health and wellness isn't sacrificed in the process of protecting their physical well-being. So I don't think it's a matter of how, how long do we maintain this? I think that we actually have to fundamentally rethink the strategy. Okay. Yeah. And, and, um, and like you said before, I think when you say, when you say rethink, do you mean like putting, I guess, more mental health professionals to the forefront in terms yeah. of discussion we're having? Yeah. And to have a more targeted approach. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, so I think overall, um, Tell, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, but there seems to be kind of, I guess, a fairly bleak picture in terms of what um, mental health looks like right now, um, especially yes. among young people. Yeah. Um, and so this might be a little bit of a hard question to answer, but do you think that there are any silver linings to the pandemic? Is there anything at all to be optimistic about? Um, or is it just kind of, let's get this over with? You know, I think, so that's an excellent question, by the way. I'm really glad you asked that question because I think that there are, multiple things that that are positive that could come out of this. Number one is that I do think that we need to focus more on health, right? On a number of fronts. So the fact that more people might be washing their hands right now is a good thing. Mm -hmm. The fact that more people might be mindful of um, hygiene and germs and uh, not touching their faces, for example, especially if they've been out all day. And so I think that's a good thing. The other thing that might come out of this that, that is a positive is that I think, and there, um, again, a focus on health, that our bodies are a be- the best defense to, um, in terms of fighting off any kind of infection. And so I think uh, another positive outcome of this might be that we all get healthier as human beings, we all exercise more, we all eat better, we all engage in lifestyles that are frankly more healthy so that we have less obesity, less diabetes, less comorbidities. 
So I do think that there can be a silver lining in all this. Another silver lining is that I think that this virus and the reaction in response to the virus is shining a very bright spotlight on our lack of understanding about mental health and social interaction. And I think that hopefully what we're going to see in the next few months is a real push for much more discussion and then hopefully hopefully more action because there's only so much you can talk about something and then it becomes a bit of a joke like how much do you talk about mental health and not do anything about it mm-hmm. and so i think that that kind of goes into my into my last question so you know what can we do you know be it as a society or as individuals i know you mentioned before um you would like to see more mental health professionals maybe you know taking the podium with these medical medical uh, officers um, when it comes to laying out the when it comes to laying out the plan but um, what what else do you think we could do as a society or as individuals to promote um, mental health right now I think we fundamentally need a different approach to the way that we are responding to the virus and that is a more targeted approach and an approach that actually takes into account in a serious way the way that people's mental health is going to be impacted by certain strategies and by that, so when I say that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very specific. I'm not gonna, obviously I don't have any strategies right now, but I can tell you that when you get the experts that should be around the table to, to determine what phase three should look like, shouldn't just be uh, medical doctors, it should also be psychologists and social workers and others who are going to be able to provide a different perspective, not, not just the, Uh, contain the virus perspective, but can we have a more targeted approach so that we protect the most vulnerable, but also preserve the necessary freedoms for mental health for many other people who may not be at high risk? Ultimately, the picture regarding the pandemic and the effects it's had on mental health in general, and students' mental health in particular, is unclear, and it will likely remain that way for at least the next few months. With case numbers still rising, it's hard to look past the physical threat posed by the coronavirus. But there's no doubt that this pandemic is going to have permanent, possibly long-lasting effects on our mental health, either for better or for worse. A week and a half into the semester, it's clear that there are going to be some growing pains, and there's no doubt that's going to be made harder by the isolating effects of online learning. It's anybody's guess as to what things will look like come reading week or final season, but for now all we can do is wait and see, one day at a time. If you're in need of mental health services, feel free to call the University of Alberta Peer Support Center at 780-492-HELP, that's 780-492-4357, or if you're living in Alberta, feel free to call 211 and be put in contact with a mental health professional.